This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly and their dog Ninja. On Saturday, October 12th, you can catch Twisted Philly Podcast live with acclaimed paranormal podcast Hillbilly Horror Stories at the Philadelphia Ethical Society on Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. The event begins around 6-ish. We'll start with a meet and greet. Jeremy Collins from Podcasts We Listen To will be joining us as MC. Then Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories will take the stage. They're coming all the way up from Kentucky to visit the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection and meet Twisted Philly listeners. After Jerry and Tracy, I'll share some of my favorite Philadelphia haunted history, tales I haven't shared on the podcast, which will only be available at the live show. Jeremy will host an Ask Us Anything. You can even get on the mic with your own paranormal experiences if you'd like to share. There will be time to shop for merchandise, we'll have giveaways, I'll have some prizes. It's going to be a spooky good time, getting everyone in the mood for Halloween. Tickets are just $20 for two live podcast shows on one night. I've got a link for tickets on Twitter and Facebook, and there's also information on Instagram. You won't want to miss this. We're going to have a blast. If you prefer to head home a little early, we'll be wrapping up before 9.30, so it won't be a late night. Or if you're up for spending a little time in the city, you can join me and Jeremy, Jerry and Tracy for a night out after the show. Rittenhouse Square has some of the best bars and restaurants in the city, just blocks from the Ethical Society. We can't wait to see you on the 12th. Hey guys, welcome to episode 164 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. Hey guys. (laughs) It's me, Mr. Tracy. Yeah, her voice is still a little shot, as you can tell. Dang it. It's not as bad as it was the other night. Yeah, though. it is getting better. I know the other night I thought it was, I was sleeping with Sling Blade. <laughs> I felt like it. I was like, I'm going to turn this light off. All right, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so annoying, but oh well. So anyways, uh, first of all, thank all of you from our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for everything you do. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Stay safe out there. You face a lot of crap every day, but we pray for you every night. Prayers go out to uh, Texas right now. They're oh, my gosh. There's some major flooding out there. Major? Shoot. Yeah. That's terrible. Yep. So we're thinking Definitely of, praying for you guys. Yep, thinking about you guys. Like always, we want to mention the fact that if you're struggling right now with anything in your personal life, we just want you to realize that there are people who care. There's people you can talk to. We've had a couple of people reach out to us already this week. Feel free to reach out to us if you don't feel like you have anybody else. You also have the suicide line here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. The text line is 741-741 if you're more of a texter. And uh, like I said, we've got our group. So you can feel free to join the group. 
If you join the group, you're going to have to answer one of the three questions on there. They're easy questions. You don't have to answer all, just answer one of them. If you don't answer any, it automatically gets declined. And it's not that we want to do that, but people, there's we've got a lot of people that just see, hey, Hillbilly Horror Stories, they don't really know it's a podcast. They just think it's a horror page. So they jump in there expecting to see all these different ghost stories and all that. And then they get aggravated when they see people talking about their personal life and what's going on. Then they want to complain to us. But the reality of it is it's because we're, we're a closed group. And it's supposed to be for listeners of the show who want to share whatever it is they want to share. And these people that are coming in and don't know anything about the show, they're the ones that are complaining that there's not enough paranormal stuff in there. And we all know that's not what the group's for. Correct. So, All right. We are two weeks away. From the show in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That's the next live event. That's going to be with Brohio. History goes bump. And we just added. Who? I was getting to it. Oh. Jess from Shoes, Shoes Booze, and Tattoos. And tattoos. Yeah, she's going to awesome. host the show for us. Oh, wonderful. And we also promised some special guests. She's one of them. Okay. The other one is going to be uh, Annie from Serial Spirits. And that is her podcast, The Serial Spirits, because she also has a show on the uh, Paranormal Warehouse called Weebs Live. I like that. We it's were like Weebies Live. Get That's it? Nowhere near like that. Oh. But yeah. So, but we were on her show for like an hour long interview. I posted it so a lot of you got to see her. Yes. She's a sweetheart for yes, sure. Yes, she is. And uh, she's actually out at the TNT Bunkers tonight. Nice. Out at the. Um, Point Pleasant, and we're going to try to hook up. We're recording this on Saturday because we're going to the Mothman Festival on Sunday. So when you hear this, it'll be a day late and a dollar short. And I'll be exhausted. Probably. Because, damn. But anyways, <laughs> we're mentioning that because she's actually had some really cool experiences out there. So she's going to oh, yes. be a special guest live speaker. And she's going to tell us some of that. And I might coax her into telling us a few other stories. Sounds so, great to me. Anyways, without further ado. After you threw up the, in your mouth. What? You threw up in your mouth again. I did not. You went, uh, 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 like that. You're, you're gross and disgusting, ma'am. <laughs> so anyways, I thought it would be only fitting that we should do tonight's show on Point Pleasant. That sounds good to me. A lot of you are going to be heading down there for the show. You're going to be staying in a haunted hotel and oh. all that. And um, I thought it would be cool to talk about some of the places that are going to be there. Okay. First off, for those to stay in the haunted hotel... You need to let us know how it was because I just found out that guess what? We are spending the night in that haunted hotel <laughs> and I had no clue. So, yay. So, tell me what to be aware of. Well, there's only one hotel in town. Now, when you cross the river into Ohio, you're literally right there when you get, you know, you're close to Kentucky, you're close to Huntington, West Virginia, and you're close to, um, as soon as you cross that bridge from Point Pleasant, you're into Ohio. So I know there's a couple of hotels over there. I know some of you guys are staying there. But there's actually only one hotel in Point Pleasant. And like I said, it's, it's like gonna, Mayberry. It's going to be fun. I know Diane's staying there from uh, oh, cool. History Goes Bump. We're going to be staying there. Uh, we should all stay in the same room and stay <laughs> yeah. up all night. I don't know how big these rooms are. Oh, but we don't have to sleep. <laughs> Maybe people want to sleep. I want to sleep. I wanted to sleep in the Sally house. Yeah. <laughs> When I'm tired, I'm tired. I, I feel you. So anyways, I thought we would just scare the crap out of you a few weeks early. 
So that way, if you're already going to be staying in that hotel, now you got two weeks to think about all the haunted crazy stuff that's went on there in case you didn't take time to look it up. So the Low Health Hotel, which is the name of it, has a bunch of ghost stories connected to it. Now, originally, we were going to do the show mm-hmm. at the Low Hotel. Yes. And then things didn't work out, and we ended up at the uh, American Legion Post, which I think worked out perfectly for us. Point Pleasant was at one time owned by George Washington. The George Washington? The George Washington. Stop. And he named it this because he said that it was the most pleasant point of the land that he bought. Because he had put an, an ad in the paper up there stating, stating that he wanted to buy 20,000 acres. And he ended up buying it, and that was what became Point Pleasant. Oh, my gosh. I had no clue. Oh, the, George. The first battle of the Revolutionary War was actually fought right there in Point Pleasant. That's where it all started. That's kind of sad because he bought the land because he said it was pleasant and then it returned awful. <laughs> right? Yep. And the just so you'll know, the um, battle was aptly named the Battle of Point Pleasant. Oh. But that's why they're having revolutionary uh, war reenactments and stuff the day that we're there. It's actually called Battle Days where they actually celebrate. Very cool. That, that first war or that first uh, battle. There's several revolutionary soldiers buried Right there in that area for that reason. Just feet from the Haunted American Legion that we're doing the show at is the park where there is everything from enlisted men to um, officers that are all buried there. Chief Cornstalk is buried there. Like We'll talk a little bit about that uh, later in the show. But the biggest story of the night is going to be the Low Hotel. So it's a very historic hotel. It was built around 1901. Now, there's some debate on the exact year, but most agree that it was built right between 1901 and 1904. It was built by brothers, Homer and Griff Thomas Smith. So they were born a year apart, 1867 and 1868, Griff being the oldest. Homer had been in basically the hotel business since his early adult years, so he had made a career out of it. He was the manager of the Phoenix Hotel by the time he was 23 years old. Nice. Griff was quite the ladies' man, on the other hand, and was more into politics. Matter of fact, he worked for the West Virginia Secretary of State and then for the IRS commissioner. Homer wanted to open this hotel on his own, and he found a financial backer, a gentleman by the name of J.S. Spencer, who was a local lawyer and a judge. So Homer talked Griff into uh, moving back home from Washington, D.C., and have him kind of help run in the hotel, make it like a family-run business. So that's what he did. Griff left politics, and he moved back home to Point Pleasant to help his brother run the hotel. They named the hotel the Spencer Hotel in honor of their financial backer, who was that judge who Mm -hmm. gave him the money so they wouldn't have had it without him. So they named it after him. That was nice. It was four stories high, and it cost $65,000 to build at that time, and approximately $10,000 additionally to furnish it. And I think all that furniture is still there. <gasps> I'm just saying. Are you serious? Because it, like, it looked like it. <laughs> it looks like <laughs> Trust me, there's a, reason why I didn't reach out. there's a reason why I didn't reach out to the owners for an interview. I don't think they would have granted it. <laughs> oh, the lower level had a bank, a bar and grill, a ladies' reception area, a billiards room, and a barbershop. Oh, that's cool. 
The kitchen and the dining room was on the mezzanine, right in between the first and the second floor. What is a mezzanine? It's a thing right in between the first and second floor. <laughs> okay. So the second and the third floor was where all the guest rooms were. The top floor was reserved for a ballroom. How about that? The hotel was right on the river. So that supplied most of the business. Well, I mean, it's not like on the river, like sitting on the river because it would sink. Is this like deja vu or something? It could be the fact that we've been there. No. Didn't I say something before about why would you put a dance floor on the fourth floor? Probably so. Uh, it could have been a whole different hotel. I don't even we know. We did a brief talk about the low hotel. Oh, well, maybe that's what it was. At, on one of the shorts. So that's probably what you're remembering. I was not expecting you to remember anything that we had done in the past. So, <laughs> Yo. Pardon me. <laughs> the third floor was reserved from people from these ships that were out there on the, on the, uh, the river. And on top of that, Homer and J.S. Spencer started another venture in 1914 called the Security Steamboat Company. The Low Hotel became a very popular destination for passengers and crew of the Steamboat Company. Partly because they allowed gambling and prostitution on the property. The hotel fell on hard times during the Great Depression, and Spencer and the Smiths had to sell the hotel. It was bought by another Homer, Homer D. Lowe. I remember that there was a second Homer. two Homers. He had grown up in the... the, business as well because his family owned hotels in spencer west virginia it's kind of ironic when you think about it that he bought the spencer hotel when he was originally from spencer oh yeah it was meant to be so low quickly put a stop to all the illegal shenanigans going on there and he changed the name to the low hotel okay well he's no fun (laughs) Homer Lowe Jr. took over the business in 1945, which obviously was his son, and he owned it until 1987 when he retired. He sold the hotel in 1990 to Rush and Ruth Finley. I've been to the hotel, and I will say that it has a creepy factor to it, without a doubt. It literally feels like you've stepped back into time as soon as you walk through the front door. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah, well, it's more like just walking back into the 70s. Not really like way back in time. Oh. Just kind of like, you know. Yeah. Anyways, the furniture is like what my mom had in her house when we were growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, lots of nostalgic pictures and furniture and stuff like that. Even the keys that they give you are skeleton keys. That's fun. It is cool. That's awesome. You don't have to worry, though. It only works your door. So you don't have to worry about like anybody's key opening your door and stuff. They're scaling keys, but they are designed for each for door. For each door? Yeah. There has been lots of cool renovation done there, though, and we'll discuss some of that in a bit. I can tell you none of it was on the lower level. As far as being haunted, Ruth and Rush wanted to kind of keep all this talk hush-hush. Or Rush-hush. <laughs> 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 In the beginning when they bought this hotel because they thought it would ruin business. Now they invite people to share their stories, and I thought we could share what some of those stories are. I wonder if they have, like, um, those books that you could write in, like, you, to tell your story in that book. I'm not sure. Remember at the Talbot? Yeah. You can do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. At the Talbot, they've actually got the books inside the room for you uh-huh. to share your stories. Yeah. Which is late. We'll be staying at the Talbot, too, in a couple weeks. Yeah. So, yay, all kinds of haunted hotels. 
Let's start with noting the fact that there are no ghosts reported on the first floor. But the other floors, different story. So we talked about the mezzanine earlier, where the kitchen and the dining room originally was. It's said that a young woman often shows up there just dancing. Oh, yay. There's no music playing anywhere around. She just likes to dance. She's very pretty. She's got long hair, kind of flowing hair. And she's kind of dressed raggedy, though, in a nightgown. It's like a raggedy nightgown. So disheveled would probably be the best way to put it. Yeah. She's also barefoot. That's my girl. Most believe this is Homer Smith's daughter, Juliet. She was the middle of three children. Juliet loved music. Now, the legend says that she fell in love with a man from the area. Homer didn't really care for him, and he forbid her to marry him. The guy moved on, married somebody else, and Juliet never married and stayed single until... She died. No kidding. There's a rumor that you can coax Juliet out of the dark with a long stem rose. So it's kind of like the bachelor, but with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, while we're on the mezzanine, let's talk about some of the improvements and remodeling, because we said some of it has been. Some of the rooms have been turned into boutique rooms by Jamie Sloan and Jim Hobb. Now, Jim's a designer and Jamie's an artist. They have collaborated with their decorating styles with some vintage furniture and original works of art. As a matter of fact, Jim Hobbs found a um, sofa to put in the mezzanine that once belonged to Lauren Green. No. So how about that? I like that. That's pretty cool. In 2014, Ruth Finley, the owner, let Hobbs look through the attic. Well, when Hobbs was looking through there, he noticed bunches of furniture and special period pieces up there so that kind of kick-started this whole thing so hobbs and sloan now have collaborated on uh, several different rooms and both live on a remodeled part of the fourth floor this is where sloan's art studio is and his gallery is the uh it's called gallery at the 409 is actually part of the low hotel complex and it's down in the uh the lower level so as you walk up to the hotel part of the like down uh it's like almost like it's part of the building, but it's like it's separate entrance and it's an actual oh, art man, gallery. Oh, man, I cannot wait to see this place. That's, that was one of the options we had for doing the show was actually inside that art gallery. Oh, wow. But I don't think it was going to be big enough. You don't so, think it was? No. I can't wait to see this place. It's pretty cool. I'll give it that. Coda liked it. Yeah? Because she was a little freaked out by it because we had to go. There was nobody in there when we went. It's like, like, give you an example. When I called the other day to make the reservation. Where you, when you most times when you call a hotel, you know, you could, hey, it's Ramada Inn, so and so, blah, 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 blah. How can I help you? This is what I got. And, and I'm not making fun of it. It just shows you the down home yeah. thing. I got a call, or I call and I said, yeah, I just want to book a room. Well, let me see if I could find my book. I think the guy was approximately 176 years old. <laughs> and he said, he's like, well, let me see if I could find my book around here. Uh, Rush has went to Walmart. Oh, my gosh. I love it. And the first time I went there, when we went there with Coda, there was an older gentleman, and it was probably the same guy. Probably. And um, we came in, and there was nobody at the front. And we're just wandering around, and we're looking through the the front, and we both had to go to the restroom. We'd just driven three hours. So we just went back down this little hallway where the restrooms were, and we just used the restroom. And when we came back, he, he came out. And then he was, I was like, I'm supposed to meet Ruth. And he's like, ah, she's at the house doing some work. She's getting ready to sell her house or something. And she's doing some work. So, I mean, it just, yeah, it was like, it, it wouldn't like you would expect out of like and a I, I love hotel. that. I yeah, do love so that. so it was pretty cool. 
Very cool. Okay, so back to the, the story. We all know that scene from The Shining to where... What? What are you laughing I, at? I'm sorry. I was just laughing because we went to Great Wolf Lodge yesterday. Yeah. And the hallway we had to go down was forever. And as soon as we turned the corner, Addie was like, oh, this looks like the hallway in The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're all familiar with that scene where he's riding, the little kid's riding the yeah. big wheel, uh-huh. you know, down there. And then you've got the scene from The Omen where, the little, where Damien's riding his tricycle yeah. up on the second floor, knocks the mom off. Well, would you believe that on the second floor of this hotel... There are reports of a small child riding a tricycle. Oh, my goodness. You don't always see them. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you just hear the squeak of the wheels and a little laughter from oh, a child. Oh, wow. I hope we hear that. That would be awesome. I don't even know what floor. No, he just said he got his book. So I, don't even, I have no clue what the no, room is. No, you don't? So, no. Probably on the roof or something. Crap. <laughs> this is the floor where most of the orbs are catch- captured in pictures, if you believe in orbs. The third floor is probably the most active floor. Whistling has been reported on several different occasions from employees and guests that are staying at the hotel when there's nobody around whatsoever. People also feel sudden chills, and they've got the feeling that they're being watched on that floor. Now, the part I like the best is that there are cleaning supplies that turn up in rooms or places where nobody's been cleaning. No members of the staff is there. But that's not the best part. The best part is it's brands it's brands of cleaning supplies that the hotel or the cleaning crew doesn't even use. What? Yeah. So like it might turn up like Comet. They don't use Comet. Maybe they use Ajax or something. But oh, these cleaning supplies just turn up and it's not the supplies that anybody uses in the hotel. So uh-huh. it just makes it even more odd. Oh, Wow. It's probably people just playing jokes on them. Yeah, it's probably a hint, too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe it's because the room wouldn't clean it up and they had to go ahead and buy their own. Oh, at the no. So another of the well-known ghosts in the hotel is Captain Jim O'Brien. Now, he was the captain of one of Homer Smith's steamboats back in 1915. The River Suite, aptly named because it overlooks the Ohio River, has a picture of him hanging on the wall. Guest staying in room 316 reported seeing Captain Jim in 2005 while she was staying there for, it said, a well-known festival. Can't imagine what that was. Ooh. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same festival we're going to tomorrow. But she said she came back into her room after taking a little bit of a break from the festival. She comes back into her room, and there was a man just standing there staring out the window at the river. Well, she asked what his name was and what he was doing there. He said he was Captain Jim, and he was waiting for a boat. Something seems very odd, though, besides the fact she had a stranger in her room staring out a window. She noticed that he didn't have any legs. She immediately said, Lieutenant Dan. Would you stop? Okay. But she did notice that he didn't have any legs. So she got the heck out of Dodge. She left her room in a hurry. I mean, how fast can he be? She left, not him. Oh. <laughs> Duh, I'm sorry. If you wouldn't be too busy trying to feed ninja water out of a gallon jug. Ninja's thirsty. Like, I have to give him some water. In room 314, 
there's a man supposedly seen there that's in 1930s clothing. He's got a beard and a thin build. He was seen by a woman in her mirror as she was like doing her makeup or something. This same lady was later looking at a postcard and she saw a man that she, she said, this was him. This is the guy she saw. Now, the gentleman she saw... The guy she saw in the mirror? Yeah, the, the gentleman that she actually saw on the postcard, though, was Sid Hatfield. You're probably familiar with the Hatfields and the McCoys. Yeah. Well, he claimed he was a member of this family, but he actually was not. What he was, though, was a police chief in Matawan, which is a couple hours away. It's unlikely to be him, though, because he lived, like I said, several counties away, and he died in 1921, so he would have never been in any 1930s clothing. I guess you could have been wrong. And Yeah. But he was also clean-shaven at, oh, the, time that, at the time that he was gunned down, because he was gunned down by somebody. Room 309. Many guests have reported seeing a woman kneeling at the edge of the bed. Praying? I don't know. I bet say. she was. Some have seen a lump in the bed, and others have seen a child that's covered in bed linens right there in that room on the bed. wow. Then they also report that a brisk wind comes in and it blows the draperies when there's no windows open or anything like that. Oh. So now let's get to the fourth floor. Of course, we've got that ballroom up there. Now, if you stand at the center of the, the ballroom, about three feet from the stairs, they say you can hear a string quartet. This That's can, nice. This can be heard anytime, day or night. Oh. The fourth floor also has some rooms that are used for storage. One of them has an old rocking chair in it. I apologize. Ninja has a thing for rocking chairs. This rocking chair supposedly used to belong to Homer Lowe's mom. Mm-hmm. So it's just still there. Anyway, so one day, Marsha, who is Ruth's daughter, she had went up to one of the rooms where the rocking chair is. And she said that it started rocking on its own oh, right there in front of her. That's nice. And that's the story of the Low Hotel. So if you're staying there, good <gasps> I, luck. Oh, my gosh. Don't say that right before we're going to stay there. <laughs> I can't wait to go see this place. I'm so excited. But I've got some other places in Point Pleasant to talk about, too, though. So, Hey, do that? we get to stop at the hot dog place and actually get a hot dog this time? Probably on the way back. On the way back? Yep. Because I can imagine with that festival going on, that oh, place, Hillbilly sure Hot Dogs be... is probably slammed. Oh, I'm sure. So, Some of these other stories aren't quite as long by far as that one, but we do have a couple other ones for you. Okay. So that way you can get the whole gist of the, uh-huh. of the haunted town itself. So our next story is going to be on the outskirts of town of Point Pleasant, but pretty well known to most of you if you're pop, you know, if you know the, the Mothman story. This is the TNT area. I hear it's dynamite. Mm. That's some ACDC <laughs> up in there. So officially, it was known as the West Virginia Ordnance Works. And from 1942 to 1945, they produced 720,000 tons of TNT per day. Okay, that's scary. <laughs> it was all stored right there in these little igloos. Oh, my goodness. That were built in the side of, of, of the uh, the ground. So... Picture, so, picture so what year? So what year did you say this was? Forty-two to forty-five. Okay. Back during the World War Two. Okay. So when I say igloos, you've probably seen like these houses that are built into like a side of a hill. Mm-hmm. So you just got 
basically like the rounded part and you got the door and the windows and the rest of it's all like in the mm-hmm. side of the mountain or, or the hill or whatever the case is. Yeah, my that's, cousin has a house like that. Right. They call them berm homes is what they're called. But that's the way these things were built. And they were built that way. So you, if you were a plane flying over top, you wouldn't be able to see it. Oh. And on top of that, they were also built in a way that if there was an explosion in one of them, it wouldn't cause a chain reaction to the other ones. Hmm. So Even that? underground? Even under that. Because they were a bunch of different ones separated far enough. Okay. So they closed down in 1945 and the area was turned into surplus. Because you know how the government likes to make everything they don't use anymore surplus. And mm-hmm. that was the same thing. In the case of this situation, some of them was sold to some private people. Or it was either disposed of or it was salvaged. And so that's kind of what happened here. The area was originally on 8,323 acres. So it's about six miles from Point Pleasant, and now it's part of the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. So it backs up. You can see where that might be a place that something like a Mothman or a Bigfoot or something could hide. It backs right up to a wildlife preserve. Mm -hmm. So most of the igloos that are still on the property are private property, but there are about three of them that are open to the public that you can kind of sneak a peek at if you want to see. Except the rest are owned by the the Army and some private, private people. So this story comes from Teresa. Now, she hosts Teresa's Haunted History of the Tri-State Area, which is a pretty awesome blog. You, I found a lot of uh, information on some of these places straight on her site mm-hmm. that I couldn't find anywhere else. No kidding. So I want to give her a lot of credit. She's a paranormal investigator and all that, so that's kind of her little niche, but she lives in that area. She had an encounter in 2008. So her and one of her friends, they decided that they were going to go out to the TNT area. She had already seen all the igloos and stuff before, uh, at least the ones that were open to the public. And her friend wanted to show her some pallets and some drums and some debris and stuff that had been placed in front of some of the other ones. Yes. Uh, some of the privately owned ones. I don't know what the excitement would be about seeing some drums and stuff set out, but apparently it was something he wanted her to see. So you pretty much have to walk to where these were because the roads are all gated off, especially this time of year that they went. The moon was extra bright that night, so the path was pretty well lit, according to her, and they had two flashlights just in case. Unfortunately, they only got to see three igloos before an overflowing stream kind of cut off their path. They couldn't go any further. So they start walking back to the car. Teresa said she could smell the strong stench of rotting flesh. Oh, goodness. She didn't smell it when they walked past it the first time to get to where they were going. Yeah, I was going to say, wonder why she didn't but, smell it But then. it was really obvious coming back. So she's in the middle of nature, so she's thinking... I'm going to take a leak. Well, no, she's thinking that's probably not that unusual to smell oh. an animal or something out there in the middle of nature. <laughs> so at this point, the area uh, where they were, was she was almost back to the car now. Mm-hmm. They start to go around this big farm gate, and she feels her pants get stuck on something. So she assumes it's weeds or something similar, and she's got her pants caught on it. So she grabs hold of the gate, and she starts shaking her foot trying to get, get it to break free of whatever's got a grasp of her. Her friend was laughing at the sight of this because apparently it just looked funny as hell. And she thought it was funny too, But and she's laughing, but she's also frustrated because she's trying to get this damn thing off her leg. She looks down on the ground, and she can't find anything grasping her foot. Okay, that's not okay. No, it's not. So apparently whatever's got a hold of her foot's invisible. 
Now, she doesn't see anything, but she still can't shake whatever is on her foot loose. This is when the weird stuff starts. Out of the corner of her eye, out of her peripheral vision, she sees an image coming towards her. It's from her left side, and it looks to be a person. Mm-hmm. This entity put his arm on her shoulder to kind of like steady her. And her first thought was, okay, her friend somehow has slipped behind her. But then she noticed that this couldn't be the case because the guy with his hand on her shoulder was a younger man, tan. He had on a white T-shirt. He was kind of thin and he had really dark brown hair, not quite black, but almost. She said his hair was short on the sides, but a little bit longer on top. And maybe he was six feet tall. That's a pretty good description. Right. Now, she said she was able to put every bit of her focus on this person and block out everything around her. It was almost like she had tunnel vision. She said it's like she was watching a movie and not actually standing there. Now, here's what dawned on her. Her friend had a gray shirt on that had no sleeves. Lots of tattoos. Both of his arms had sleeves on them. He was like 6'5 and a bigger guy. Yeah. So there was absolutely no way this was her. So she gets free, and she can see her friend about a foot past the gate. So now she knows for a fact that wasn't him. He's already ahead of her a little bit. So she's looking back to see who or what helped her, and there was nothing there. So they get to the car. They start driving. She tells her friend what she saw. He didn't see anything at all, but he didn't really question her because he knows that she's a little bit sensitive. So she sees things already that other people don't see. And he knew how worked up she was, so there was no reason not to believe her. So he thought maybe it was something that just didn't want them there to begin with. Yeah. But that didn't make any sense to her because Teresa pointed out that it happened on the way back. So if it was something that didn't want them there, it would have happened before that. Oh, well, yeah. So she's maybe something didn't want them to go. So she thought about that rotting flesh smell. So in her head, she automatically thinks, well, maybe this entity was trying to tell them something. Maybe there was a, a, a dead body back there somewhere that they <gasps> wanted them to find. Oh. Because that area has been used as a dumping spot for bodies already in the past. There's already been a couple of people killed back there on one part. And- oh, Wow. So she said to the best of her knowledge, nobody was ever found, and she didn't want to investigate it any farther. So she didn't report it to anybody no. at all then? No, because she didn't feel like there was any need to. She was just thinking outside, basically, the box. So, Man, that's horrifying. But, yeah, Point Pleasant has all kinds of cool stuff. For example, this is actually from uh, the 13th Street, which is, well, I'll just, again, so... Right there on the 13th Street. That's where Roger and Linda Scarberry lived on 13th Street. They were two of the, the people that saw Mothman. They were the ones that were out at, they were, there were the two couples in the car out at the TNT factory when they saw Mothman and chased them. One of the couples lived right there on 13th Street, Roger and Linda Scarberry. Well, there's been some other strange stuff happened on 13th Street. This goes back to March 13th, 1895. This was actually in the Point Pleasant Weekly Registered newspaper. And it says, a man up in the third ward has seen a ghost and no ordinary ghost either. It was a woman, of course, 
I don't know why it would have been a woman, of course, but a woman, of course, and wore silk raiment and razzle-dazzle jewelry. Sometime in the morning before dawn during last week, and an uptown citizen was passing through an alley ostensibly for a near cut. When he came near the crossing over 13th Street, he saw just a short distance ahead of him an elegantly dressed woman, her clothing bedecked with silver bangles set with dazzling brilliance. The apparition would not allow a near approach as it faded out of sight before he got to it. So how about that? Pretty amazing. So there was, uh, this gentleman sees a ghost in the late 1800s, and they even put it in the newspaper. Yeah. That is serious stuff if they put it in the newspaper now. Now, as far as other places, there's a state theater in town. Now, the state theater looks just like you would think it was. We've got a Kentucky theater here. Uh-huh. And it's really cool. And this one was the same way. It looks like something you would see, yeah. you know, in in a small town. There might have one or two movies playing. It's kind of like a little theater in uh, Stranger Things or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But you... State Theater's been closed down for a long time. And uh, when we get went there, remember, we noticed it was because I want to talk about maybe renting it to do the show yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But the, the theater opened back in the early 1940s, and it's got a lot of history in the town. Uh, it's attached to a local hardware store, and the two businesses share one wall. Oh. So during the aftermath of the Silver Bridge, when it, when it fell down in 1967, collapsed, the town used the basement of the hardware store to temporarily house those who had died. Oh. So as a result, many people kind of think that the spirits, spirits are the in theater. there. Yeah, that's such a sad thing. Witnesses claim to have, uh, they feel cold spots, especially around one particular seat. Lights turn off and on in the in the projection room. Shadowy figures sometimes pass by, and one paranormal researcher felt a phantom hand press the back of her neck. So people have also claimed to see the first owner of the theater walk up and down the aisles each evening at precisely 8:45 p.m. So, yeah, pretty cool. You know, I know all the the Mothman. It just is terrible. But, golly, can you imagine that bridge falling? Oh, I can't. No, all those people on that, oh, I just, I don't even know. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And, I mean, what do you do? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? I, don't, I mean, I don't even know how you would react to that. Yeah, that's, every time I see one of those tragedies like that, like there was the one in California where the, I think it was San Francisco maybe or Oakland one where the, um, the double-decker freeway where the one fell on, on top, top of the, of the other. other. Oh, and, Lord. And you see something like that, and you're thinking, man, something like that that happens instantly, or there's been some of the, there was the hotel in, uh, was it Kansas City? Maybe to where the the upper level of like a balcony area inside, uh, like a, you just, know, just fell. Just no warning. And, it's just yeah. like, bam. I mean, no time to prepare, no time to try to react or anything. So, I don't know. I was listening to a story about a place here in Kentucky. It's in Livingston County, but it's a little island. It's actually like a little island out in the water. And there's a bridge that leads to and from the mainland there. And they said that the other one was like falling apart. And they built a new one. And five days after the new one was built, the old one actually collapsed. So that was that close to being possibly being a disaster. It's amazing, man. That's some scary crap there. 
so anyway that's what we got going on in in west virginia so there's a few hundred places right there and i know there are and there if you go there you have got to go see that beautiful mural that i don't know who drew that who did that that artwork on that whole yeah, entire wall awesome. oh my gosh yeah the whole wall on the the park there's a flood wall and there's a mural painted and in each section it tells a different story, story of the revolutionary of war yes and then oh. they've got some statues up there also it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful it's just really it's really take the time to go look at it Oh, I guess I need to tell you about the curse of Cornstalk. Cornstalk was one of the most powerful and most respected uh, Shawnee chiefs in the area. When he was young, he hated the idea of European settlers moving anywhere close to them or on their property at all. But as he got older, he was more concerned about keeping the peace. So when the Revolutionary War started, he wanted to remain neutral. So he represented the Shawnee tribe at Fort Pitt in 1775 and 1776. He even signed the first ever treaty between the U.S. and the Shawnee. So despite the treaty, though, many of the Shawnee hoped to use British forces to reclaim their lands. So a band of the militia tribes led by Blue Jacket effectively divided the Shawnee. He was determined to keep the peace, though. Cornstalk, along with Red Hawk of the Delaware tribe, led... uh, a little diplomatic mission, we'll say, so to speak, up to Fort Randolph on November 7th, 1777. Unfortunately, though, Captain Arbuckle, who was the fort's commander, he took uh, Cornstalk and Red Hawk hostage. And he was thinking that he could fend off the other tribes if they knew Cornstalk had been captured. But this is where the story gets a little strange. Despite being hostages, the leaders were not treated well. They were, weren't given comfortable quarters or good food or any other luxuries. Cornstalk was said to have even helped his captors by uh, plotting out maps along the Ohio River to kind of show them where they needed to go. This led some to believe that his hostage status may have been voluntary. But on November 9th, 1777, Cornstalk's son came to visit his father but was detained the next day, gunfire was heard near the Kanawha River. So Arbuckle's men went to investigate. When it did, they found out that the two escaped uh, prisoners that they had in the stockade were ambushed by some of the local uh, Native Americans, and were, one of them got away and the other one was killed. He took the body back to the uh, uh, fort, and the people there were ticked off. They were enraged at the fact that these these men were killed by these Indians and they wanted to exact a little bit of revenge. So they go and they break into Cornstalk's, uh, the room that he was being held. And they decided that, you know, Hey, enough's enough. Well, Cornstalk, he stood up on his own and, and, and they said that he was so brave that they kind of held off for a little bit. But then in the end, they turn around and they shot him eight times. And it said that, he uttered this curse right before he died. I was the border man's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refused to join your pale-faced enemies with the Redcoats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered my side, my young son. For this... May the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon the land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. May the strength of the people 
be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. Cornstock was buried overlooking the junction of the Ohio and the Kanawha Rivers. His body remains there until, remained there until 1840 when his bones were moved to the Mason County Courthouse. A monument was erected to him in 1889. In the, in the 1950s, though, a new courthouse was built and Cornstock's remains were placed in an aluminum box and reinterred in the corner of the town's Two Indy Wee Park, which is the park where all the uh, soldiers and stuff are buried at, too. So obviously some people think that the curse of Cornstalk is the reason that the Mothman came and the reason that the bridge collapsed and all the other problems that the mm-hmm. towns had. Ugh. So who knows? Don't mess with them. Just don't <laughs> do it. Okay, Tracy, would you like to uh, read the Patreons and stuff? And while you're gathering that information, I will remind people we have two live shows left. That's the one that we just spoke about in Point Pleasant on October 5th. And the following Saturday, we will be in Philadelphia with Dina Maria of Twisted Philly. You heard the commercial when we started off. All righty. Our iTunes reviews this week were Big Eddie Koo. <laughs> Big Eddie Koo. I like it. TJ Salas. B. McKee. Sharks 67. N. Focus Design. I Want a Pet Goat. Who don't? I'm not. That's what I'm saying. And Paul K. Milk. Thank you guys for your reviews. They were awesome. Love it so much. I'm under the impression that B. McKee is the B's knees. That's what I'm saying. Hey. Patreons this week was Laura Zimmerhansel, Charlie Childress, and Gary Scarberry. Thank you guys for your support. We appreciate it more than you will ever, ever know. Hey, wasn't Scarberry the name of the people from the uh, that I just read about on the thirteenth street? I know, I, I know, odd. isn't that crazy? Huh? He, I bet he's related. I bet probably so, some way, some show. Yeah, yeah. All right. So before we get out of here, just a reminder: uh, we've got the mugs still on sale. We did that mm-hmm. for two weeks. So if anybody goes, you can do that. We've got all the Amazon stuff that if you want to buy some ghost hunting equipment, they got some cool stuff. Some uh, dowsing rods. We've got uh, a cool Ouija board. Some tarot cards. So if you want any of that stuff, go on there and get it. We get paid a little bit for it. So if you're going to buy it anyway, why not? Oh, That's what I say. That'd be fun. And as a reminder that Amanda and myself have started a new podcast. It's called Warning You Will Be Offended. It is now officially on iTunes. And the first episode will come out October 2nd. We'll probably put about three episodes out that day. And then uh, it'll be a bi-weekly episode. They're only going to be about 25 minutes. So really, really short and sweet. Yeah, you guys and, check them out. And it's going to be, just so everybody's clear, yeah, it's going to be offensive, but we have limits. I mean, we're not making fun of, uh, we're not going to talk politics, we're not going to talk religion, we're not going to make fun of anybody's race or, race or ethnicity or anything like not. that. So it's not that kind of offensive. It's no. more cursing and adult, adult stuff. Yeah. We like to say that it's immature content for mature people. <laughs> so that's kind of where it's at. But if you could help that show out, if that's your cup of tea, I don't want you to go listen just for the sake of it because right. it, it, I don't, you know, if it's not what you like, offensive language and talk about sex and all that, please don't go listen to it. But if you like that kind of thing, give us a listen and give us a review and help us move up the charts. Very cool. So, guys, that's all I got for you this week. Tracy, do you have anything for them this week? Um, I, as always, just want you guys to have a blessed week. Love one another. And uh, thank a veteran, of course, if you see them on the street or anywhere. 
And we hope to see you guys in West Virginia. I wonder when we're in West Virginia when um, you see some of the Revolutionary War actors, if you're going to thank them for their service. Dude, I will be wore <laughs> the heck out, but I'll do it. You, you know I got this. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Love ya.